Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just want to ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen, and we pray that you are blessed. Today, we're going to jump into the Word of God. We are on episode four of our identity series. And so I'm super excited about, about just sharing with you what I believe God has placed on my heart um, for episode four. We've been really unpacking this idea of who we are in Christ and what Christ has called us to be and Christ has called us to do um, in this world. And it really starts and stems from our identity. And so we're going to jump into the word right now. Um, we're going to have a word of prayer first before we do that. And so I would just invite you to bow your heads and to pray, to pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are just indeed so grateful for this opportunity to gather. Um, whether we're at our home with family and friends or whether we are um, out and about, maybe driving in a car, but we're listening through, the, through, the, through the, the car audio or maybe we're taking a walk right now and we have our headphones on, wherever we might be or even here in the physical church building. God, we just thank you for this moment. We thank you for the opportunity to... Um, just open your word and to hear from you. And so we just pray that you would speak to us right now, that your word would come forth with clarity and that you would be glorified in this moment. God, the devil has done a work on us um, as it pertains to our understanding of who we are in Christ. But God, you are doing a greater work in us. You are revealing to us and unfolding and debunking the myths and the lies that he has told us throughout our history, throughout our entire life. And as we continue to dive into this, Lord, may, may your word just become more and more pronounced. And may you just be glorified in this place. We thank you for hearing us and answering. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I want to just invite you to open your words with me to John and chapter 2 is where we're going to start today. And I just want to read it for you. I have it here on the screen. John chapter 2. Uh, and we're starting with verse 11. And this is really a familiar passage to each of us. It should be, if you're familiar with the word of God at all, you've probably heard this story preached before, talked about before. John chapter 2, Jesus is just starting his ministry. He's just stepping onto the scene. In this particular passage, the Word of God says, the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Canaan in Galilee. Jesus's mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festival. So Jesus's mother told him, told him, Jesus, they have no more wine. It goes on to say, dear woman, Jesus says, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of the ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over 
And he said to him, a host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Canaan in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is where we have been for the last um, three weeks and now four weeks where we have been talking about our identity. And I've kind of taken uh, this, this, uh, this framework of understanding our identity and I have just made a few adjustments to it. What we've been talking about up until this point is that all of us experience voices in our head. And these voices, these voices naturally become thoughts as we begin to think about them and dwell on them. And then these thoughts become Become beliefs. And as these thoughts become beliefs, they become kind of core to who we are. And then these beliefs eventually become manifested through our behavior or through our actions. And then I added something this week to try to help us understand. And it is this behavior that then informs our identity. And we've been talking about this for the last three or four weeks. We've been talking about how, how if we want to, to better understand how we, who we are in Christ, that we have to reimagine this whole cycle, that we need to be very careful about the voices that we let inside of our minds, that be very careful about the thoughts that we entertain and that we dwell, to make sure that our beliefs are really rooted in the Word of God and not rooted in some other construct or some other theory or some other ideology, and to make sure that when we think about our behavior, that our behavior, while it is a reflection of our beliefs. At the end of the day, our identity is not based off of what we have done. Our identity is based off of who God is and what he calls us. And so we've been talking about, particularly this quote here um, from week one, it says, you will live up to or down to whatever you believe you are. And this really just drives home how important it is for us to have a full, clear understanding of our identity. Because if I believe I'm no good, then I will live down to that belief. If I believe I am righteous, then I will live up to that belief. If I believe I'm an overcomer, then I will live up to that belief. I believe if I'm, 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 there's, I'm a loser, then I will live down to that belief. We've been talking about this. We also said that the reason why this whole um, um, identity series and this whole identity framework and this identity cycle is so important is because in the mind is where the transmission of God's plan either succeeds or fails. In the mind, the devil knows that if he in our mind can get us to at some point not believe what God's word says about us, that he can get us to abort the plan and the purpose and the potential that God has in store for us, that he can get us to eventually throw away and cast off who God has called us to be in Christ Jesus. And so in the mind is where the transmission of God's plan either succeeds or fails. And so we've been talking about this and something that we really established early on in week one and week two is that when God looks at us and God speaks to us, that God calls us stuff, things that we, that we can't even imagine. God calls us righteous. He calls us his heirs. He calls us his children. He calls us blameless. He calls us holy. He calls us um, his workmanship, that God identifies us as righteous and more than conquerors. And that if we're not careful, that if we don't embrace that and really live into that, that we will abort the position and abort what God has called us to be. And so today, I want to just take this a step further and continue to really unpack 
who got who we are in Christ Jesus. You know, as I think about this, there was a story that I think really illustrates this point. Um, it's not even a story. It's a series of movies. Are you all familiar with the Bourne Identity Series? Have you seen, you know, Jason Bourne, Matt Damon, right? The Bourne Identity Series. And in this Bourne Identity Series, um, um, J- J- Jason Bourne, Matt Damon is a, like a CIA special operative who is like assassin creed like level. And he just goes and does these like rogue missions on behalf of the dark side of the United States government. And it just so happens, like in the first one, Born in Identity, that Jason Bourne, he's going to perform one of these missions, but something goes wrong and he finds himself um, stranded in the middle of the ocean. They pick him up and when they wake him up, after they rescue him from the ocean, he doesn't know who he is or where he's been. In fact, what they say is that he's experiencing disassociative amnesia, where he literally can't remember who he is. And so throughout the series of like, I think it's three movies, maybe four movies, Jason Bourne is like constantly trying to remember who he is. He's constantly trying to discover like who, where was I and who am I and, and what's my identity? And along the way, he comes across, across a few clues. Clues that like he sees he has a number of passports and he goes back to the place where he where he once was staying. He sees things here and there and he starts having these flashbacks about possibly who he was or where he had been from. And all along the way, he's trying to discover his his true identity. And of course, at the end of I think it's movie four, Born Supremacy or Born Ultimatum, I forget the name of it, he eventually discovers who he is, but then he realizes, spoiler alert. It's, it's been out like 20 years, so it's not really a spoiler alert. He then realizes that who he was was actually also a false identity, that they had brainwashed him before he became what he thought he was. And so he's really trying to go all the way down the rabbit hole to discover who he really is. And as I was just reflecting on that movie this week, I said to myself, you know what? That his story is just like us. Like, Granted, we're not like CIA operative assassins, at least some of us aren't. But all of us have experienced some type of trauma in our life that has placed us on a path where we are currently experiencing disassociative amnesia. Not maybe in a real literal sense, but the trauma started in Genesis in chapter 3 when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, at that point, they forgot, they lost who they were. And from Genesis 3 all the way to 2020, we have always been trying to figure out who are we really. We have flashbacks when we come to church and we hear sermons preached. We have flashbacks of maybe what God says about us. And we have flashbacks about what our parents might um, um, declare, declare over us. But we're really not sure who we really are because our current behavior doesn't quite line up and match up to who we believe we were in Christ or who God has called us to be in Christ. And so we have all been to a degree walking around with a false identity. And I I wrestle with actually calling it a false identity because though it may be a false identity, it's not necessarily a bad identity, Paula, right? Like, so it's, and let me just try to, to just try to help distinguish, like it's a false identity, but it's not a bad identity. It's just not a true identity, Right. So let me try to like like really break it down. So if you were to come up to me 
and you were to say, hey, um, uh, I heard that you were a, a medical doctor, and you said that to me, right? I would, I would say, okay, who told you that? Well, this person told me, I was like, well, praise the Lord, right? I am a medical doctor, even though I am not a medical doctor at all whatsoever. But if you kept calling me Dr. Your Lord, and you thought, you know, I was a medical doctor, and I actually believed that I was a medical doctor because you kept saying, yeah, you're a medical doctor, then I would be assuming a false identity. It's not a wrong identity, like being a, excuse me, it's not a bad identity. Being a medical doctor is not something bad, but it's just not who I am. It would be, it would be wrong. And so when I think about this idea of what we are experiencing with our identity, it's not that this false identity that many of us live under is bad, per se, it's just wrong. It's just not a true identity. I think about the kid in Florida. I don't know if y'all remember the kid in Florida a couple years ago who actually went around claiming he was a medical doctor, even though he had like no medical experience or credentials. He was 18 years old. I say he was a kid. He was 18 years old. Does anyone remember that? at all? No? Like, he posed as a medical doctor, and he actually opened a clinic and was seeing patients, and like, the whole nine, like, legit, legit, like, catch me if you can type movie 2002, like, he legit had this false identity. And it's not like a bad, I mean, there's nothing wrong with someone, you know, saying you're a medical doctor. It's just, is that who you really are? And that's just not who he really was. And so for us, in our life, what we do is many of us, we have assumed a wrong identity. And this wrong identity is largely built on and based on labels. Labels that we put on ourselves. Labels that we allow other people to put on ourselves. And these labels, Ms. Sheila, these labels are not always wrong. Like these labels, these labels could be actually good things. So, for example, if you think about Kobe Bryant, the late Kobe Bryant, the late great Kobe Bryant, we would put a label on Kobe Bryant and we would say he is a champion or he was a champion. And that's a label that we would put on him because of what he had done in the past. He had become an NBA champion, and so we have labeled him as a champion. Or you can think about the current um, a Lakers superstar, LeBron James, we would look at him and we would say, he also is a champion. And there's nothing wrong with that label, George, that designation that this is who he is based off of what he's done. The challenge, though, with labels is that too often the labels compel us to try to continue to live up to them. So, for example, if you think about LeBron James, currently there is this huge debate going on currently in the sports world about whether LeBron James is the GOAT, right, the greatest of all time. And the reason why people who are against him are saying he's not the GOAT is because LeBron has lost a number of championships. He's lost more championships than he's won. And people are saying, even though he has all these great statistics, is it really possible for him to be considered the GOAT because he's lost all of these championships? championships. And as a result of what he has not been able to do, people are questioning the label champion that they have placed on him. And so the labels that we place on one another, they are based on our past behaviors that maybe we place on ourselves. But at the same time, a lot of the labels that we place on people are also a result of our own insecurities. 
So I will label someone something based off of my own insecurity, based off of who I think they are or, or my own issues or my own failures or my own wounds in my own life. I will place labels on other people. And the reason I have these labels is because these labels help me to define who you are and to really put you in like a, a spectrum or in hierarchy. How do I compare to you? And so we use these labels and a lot of times labels make us feel good about ourselves because they are diminishing who other people really are. Labels help us to identify who people are and where they are. I actually have with me here um, an old school label maker. And this label maker, if you ever had one of these, these things are like invaluable when you're trying to like, you know, organize things in your office or in your kitchen. You can type in on the keyboard what you want to say and you can print the label out. And you print the label out and you put the labels on containers or on storage units because they help you to better understand who you are. And so when you think about these labels, When you think about these labels, we put labels on storage containers. We put labels on, uh, on, on, on storage items. And a lot of times we put these labels on things because these labels help us to identify what's actually inside this storage container. So if you go to someone's kitchen and you see the containers, you might see a label that says flour or a label that says sugar or a label that says salt or a label that says uh, pepper, whatever the label might be, they put it on the storage container to help them better understand what is going on inside of that storage unit. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's what labels do. Labels help us identify what something was or what something is based off of the components of that thing that we have experienced. And the challenge, though, with labels is that we do the same thing with ourselves and with others that based off of my behavior or based off of your behavior, I will put labels on you. And I'm guilty of it just the same. We're all guilty. You'll have someone who has failed and you'll call them a loser. Or you might think about yourself as a loser. Or you might look in the mirror and say, well, I'm not as pretty as the next person, so therefore I'm ugly. Or you might be someone who is extremely ambitious. And so because you're so ambitious, you might label yourself as a career woman. And there's nothing wrong with that. But understand that these labels are based off of, off of a an attempt to define who you are based on your behavior. I might want to consider myself super dad, right? It makes me feel good about who I am and what I've done. So I will label myself super dad, or a lot of times the labels are negative. So you might call yourself lazy, or you might call your kid lazy, or maybe you were called lazy or stupid or no good. These labels are something that we are very familiar with. And these labels are something that I believe isn't just unique to us, but labels have been passed down to us from one generation to the next. In fact, I want to just show you an example in the word of God in John chapter 8. Like, and I kind of take issue with this. Right In John chapter 8, I want to show you an example, and this is not our text, but when you think about John chapter 8, it tells a story of a woman who got caught in, the, in adultery, right? And, and I just want to show you something. You're not going to be able to see it, but, but in John chapter 8, in my, in my Bible, and I think yours probably says the same thing or some version of it in John chapter 8, 
like the person who translated the book of John from Greek to English, right? The scribes or the people who put the Bible together, they actually did something. Like they also fell in line with this labeling of people because in the heading, you can't see it. I don't know. You might be able to zoom in. The heading of John chapter eight, it, it literally says an adulteress faces the light of the world. Like an adulterous woman faces Jesus. I don't know what your Bible says, but mine literally says an adulterous woman. And what's interesting is that the scribes, the people who translated the Bible, the men and women who translated the Bible, they actually also labeled this woman adulterous based, based on her behavior, which is something that has been passed down from one generation to the next, and we all have done it. We place labels on ourselves. Another example, I was looking just yesterday at the word of God and in Matthew 9, the Bible says, and suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. As I thought about that, I said to myself, did this woman not have a name? Right? Why, how is it and why is it that they identified her and defined her based on her issue? It, to me, it really spoke volumes because what it did was it reminded me that we place labels on people. We see the Bible translators placing labels on people in an attempt to help us understand and define who they are. We, we, we allow and we have allowed people to place labels on us. And at the end of the day, out of all the labels that we wear, I wanna be extremely clear with everyone in here today that out of all the labels that we wear, none of the labels come from God. That God is not a label maker. He doesn't make labels. He doesn't, he doesn't label us. You know, he, he doesn't look at me and say super dad. He doesn't look at me and say lazy. He doesn't look at me and say career woman. He doesn't look at me and say, and say lazy or, or stupid or, or no. God does not create labels. In fact, the only labor maker, maker in all labels come from the devil. He is a label maker. He is the label maker. In fact, I would call him the chief label maker, the CLM, the chief label maker, because he is constantly producing labels and placing them on us in an attempt to get us to define ourselves based on who we are, where we've been, or what we have done. Do I got a witness in the house? Amen, somebody. This is what the devil does. And what's crazy is that I believe, and I have had to repent of this myself, that when we place labels on people, we are actually operating as agents of the enemy. Because he is the chief label maker, and he will use us as his emissaries, as his agents, to go out and to continue to perpetuate the labels that we have placed on people. And so you and I have to, as, as even though we are wired this way because of this is the world that we grow up in, the society, I mean, the kid who does good in school, we label them a good student. The kid who does bad in school, we label them a bad student. And we're wired this way. But just want you to understand that this is not the way our Father in heaven operates. That he doesn't create labels. We see this actually in the word of God in Zechariah in chapter 3. Zechariah in chapter 3, I want to show you this. If 
this will work for me. There it is. Now it doesn't want to work for me. Okay. Zechariah chapter 3. The word of God says, Then the angel of the Lord showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Then the angel showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Now, just to give you some context about Zechariah, like when you think about, uh, uh, let me go back one. When you think about Zechariah, Joshua is the high priest, and as the high priest, Joshua represents all of humanity. Like, he is our representative. He is the priest. That's what a priest does. He represents humanity before God. And so this text says that Joshua, the high priest, is standing before the Lord, and the the woman says, the accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand making accusations against Joshua. This This is the chief label maker, the CLM. This is him at work right now. He is literally making accusations against Joshua. And I don't know what he's saying, but I can imagine he's saying, look at Joshua. He's no good. He's messed up. He's done this and he's done that. And he's been with this person. He lied about this. And I'm sure, I'm sure that all of his accusations are true. Like the devil doesn't really make up stuff about us. He doesn't have to make up stuff about us. He has enough evidence that that he can pull from about us things that we have actually done. He comes, he says, look look at Seth, he's a liar. And you know what? I have lied. So he's right about that. And look at Seth, he's done this. And yep, he's probably right about that too. Like the devil, we call him a liar, But much of what he says about us and accuses us before God is actually things we probably have done. He places these accusations and these labels before us. And I love what the word of the Lord says. It says, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. I, the Lord, reject your labels, Satan. I, the Lord, reject your labels, Satan. I, the Lord, reject your labels, Satan. Yes, the Lord, for I have chosen Joshua, and I rebuke your labels. And I just want to encourage someone that when you feel as though you are labeling yourself or that others are labeling you, as I have felt in the past, I have to remind myself that God rejects the labels of the enemy, even if his labels are true. Even if he says, you know what, Seth, he did do those things. And Seth, you, you did do that. And you did, yeah, yeah, you're right. But the God still rejects the labels. He rejects the labels. He rejects the application, the, the accusations. That's why we call it, that's why we call it a false identity, right? Um, so no, that's why we, that's why it's not a false identity because the things that the enemy is accusing us of are actually true. So it's not like a false identity, it's just a wrong identity. Like, I want you to, I want you to get the difference. Like, 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 if he comes to me and says, Seth, like, you're a liar, like, you've done this before, like, that's actually true, right? So it's not false, it's true, but, but what I have to understand is that though it might be true, it's not right, 
it's not the right identity because the moment I step in Christ, the moment I become a Christian, all of his accusations and all of the, the identity that I was prior to is, is forgotten. And now I step into who I am in Christ. And so when he comes and says, Seth, you've done these things, or Tiffany, you've done these things, or Stephen, you've done these things, or Michelle, you've done these things. Like I can stand and say, yep, yep, I've done those things, but that's not who I am. Right. It's a it's a it's not a false identity. It's just not a right identity. It is the wrong identity. And yet for many of us, we are still living underneath the wrong identity. This is what I call, as you saw, this is what I call the paradox of the paradox of life in Christ or what I like to call the identity paradox. Because it's like kind of confusing for me to think like, okay, yeah, I have lied, but I'm not a liar. Like, yeah, I have cheated, but I'm not a cheater. Like, I have stolen things, but I'm not a thief. Like, I have, I have done some things, but that's not who I am. And it's literally a paradox that many of us wrestle with. Yes, I've done these things, but these things are not who I am. Yes, I've gone, stepped out, but that's not who I am. Yes, I might have had some issues, but that's not who I am. Am. And your ability to acknowledge what you have done, but then not to identify by what you have done is really the mark that you are growing up in Christ, that you recognize that, yes, that's what I've done, but that's not who I am. Who I am is what Christ has called me to be. So because I'm not, because I'm in Christ, Christ has called me something other than what I did. And I think Paul Paul understood this paradox because in 1 Timothy, Paul, in 1 Timothy, Paul frames it like this. He says, this is the faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am chief. So Paul is very clearly saying like, I am a sinner. Like I have done these things. I am a sinner that Christ has come to save. However, if you, if you just rewind a little bit in Galatians 2.20, Paul also says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And so it's almost like Paul saying, okay, yeah, Christ came into the world to, to, to save sinners of who I can identify as a sinner, but that's not who I am because now that I am in Christ, I no longer identify as sinner. Uh, I want you to, I really want you to get this, that when you are in Christ, you no longer identify as sinner. Yes, I have committed sins. But sinner is not who I am. You see, most of us, we believe this statement to be true. I am a sinner saved by grace. We believe this statement to be true. And on the surface, we can say, okay, yeah, yes, I am a sinner, but I am saved by grace. But I believe that this, it is this statement that sets so many of us up for failure and for the struggle because if I continually identify as a sinner, then guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to sin. Because what do sinners do? Sinners sin. But when you're in Christ, Christ doesn't identify you as a sinner. When you're in Christ, Christ identifies you as righteous as holy, as blameless. Christ identifies you as without 
blemish without accusation because you are actually in Christ. So this is the paradox of our identity and the labels that we place on ourselves. So that yes, on one hand, I can recognize that I have sinned, but I am not a sinner. And that's not said boastfully or braggadociously. That's not said pompously or arrogantly. No, that's just a me, me affirming who I am, me affirming the right identity in Christ. Because if I say that I am a sinner, while that's true, it's wrong. It's true that I have sinned, but that's not my identity. My identity is based on what Christ has said about me. And so I identify as righteous. I identify as holy and his child and his son and his daughter. So a a, a true statement would be more like this. I was a sinner, but I am now saved by grace. Yeah, I was a liar. And yesterday, I probably lied. But that's not who I am. And this morning, I probably had some crazy thoughts, but that's not who I am. Like these things that I have done that people would be very quick and that the devil is very quick to take hold of and to label me as unrighteous or unholy or not trustworthy. These things that he can actually accuse me of, which are true. I'm choosing to draw a line in his hand and say, Father, yes, I made a mistake, but that's not who I am in Christ. In Christ, I am holy and righteous and blameless. In Christ, I am your child. And you have redeemed me. And you have called me to be righteous in Christ. I am actually perfected in Christ. The devil tries to put labels on us. God is not a label maker. He does not put labels on us. God is actually a creator. You see, label makers... These label makers, they don't create anything. They just identify what was. But God doesn't need a label maker. God is a creator. So he can speak over your life, Tiffany, and he can say, Tiffany, you are righteous. And even though, Tiffany, you might not feel righteous or you may not have done some righteous things yesterday because God speaks over you and God declares you righteous, in that moment you become righteous. Righteous, And so when God declares you righteous and God declares you holy, you then have to make a decision in your mind. Am I going to identify with what I've done or am I going to identify with who God has called me to be? And God calls me righteous. So even though I've done some unrighteous things and even though tomorrow I might actually slip and fall, it's okay because that's not who I am. Who I am is who he has declared me to be. This is like, this is God's like oldest like trick out the bag. Like this is what he does. It's what you call, it's what you call uh, ex nihilio. Let me actually show, it, show this to you. It's called ex nihilio. Ex nihilio is the word that actually was used in Genesis in chapter one when the word of God says that God created the heavens and the earth, that he actually calls something out of nothing. 
And so God can take all of your nothingness and all of your unrighteousness and all of your unholiness and God can step into it and ex nihilio your life and call righteousness out of unrighteousness and call holiness out of unholiness and call blameless out of blamelessness out of what is to be blamed. Like he has that ability. In fact, this is what we see he did for Abraham, which was so mind-blowing in Romans in chapter 4. It tells us, I have made you the father of many nations. Now, God comes to Abraham, and God says, Abraham, I will make you the father of many nations. Yet Abraham has no children. His wife is barren. They've tried year after year on their own to no, to no success, to, no, to, to without any success. And yet God shows up and says, no, 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 Abraham, I'm going to make you. You are the father of many nations. And then it says, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom you believe, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. God calls into existence the things that do not exist. He calls righteousness out of something that is not righteous. He calls my son out of something that was a bastard. He calls my daughter out of something that was a castaway. He looks at your life and he calls you righteous and holy. He calls something into existence that did not exist. This is ex nihilio. This is what he does. And what's interesting is that in Genesis chapter 1, the very first miracle of God, the very first thing that he did when he stepped on this empty planet, Genesis chapter one, the word of God says, and God created, he created the heavens and the earth. The very first words God created, the very first thing he did. Ah, this, this, to me is, is mind-blowing because this is not just a description of what God did past tense, but this is actually a description of who God is, that God is a creator, that he steps into nothing and he calls out life from that nothingness. And that was the very first miracle of God in Genesis in chapter 1. And mind-blowing, that is the very first miracle of Jesus in John chapter 2. The very first thing Jesus did when he stepped into the scene after his time growing and after the 30 years of just developing, the very first miracle of Jesus was to show up to a wedding feast. And in that moment, he did the exact same thing that happened in Genesis chapter one. He stepped into and he created something out of nothing. I mean, it, it tells us this, that he went to this wedding. We just read this. He went to the wedding and the wine supply had run out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother comes and says, Jesus, do something. And Jesus is like, listen, woman, it's not my time. My time has not come. But her, his mother was like, listen, I know who you are. I know who your daddy is, not Joseph, but the father. You're like your father, create something. So she says, Jesus, do something about it. So Jesus tells them, 
Go get six water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. They, they filled the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of the ceremony. So they followed his instructions. And when the master tasted the water, not knowing what it was, that it was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, the master was like blown away. He was like, wait, how is it that you all have saved the best for last? And he goes on to say, we'll get there. A host always serves the best, the master says. Then when, when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign in Canaan and Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. Now, I just want to pose a question to you all who are, who, are, who are watching right now. At what point did the water actually become wine? Just, just talk to me for a minute. Put it in the chat, right? At what point did the water actually become wine? Was it when they filled the, the, the water jugs? Was it when Jesus spoke over it? The text doesn't actually say he spoke over it, but is it when maybe he just thought it? Was it when they, they dipped the, 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 the spoon or the ladle into the jugs and, and poured it into the cup? Was it when the, the water actually hit the, 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 the master's lips? And at that moment that it hit the master's lips, immediately it became wine. I, this is just like a, a theological question that a lot of scholars and theologians and preachers wrestle with and talk about. At what point did the water become wine? And... It's funny because I was talking to a friend about this just yesterday, and he said, well, I think it was when it actually hit the master's lips. But we don't know exactly, but I'm just crazy enough to believe that, that, that this water became wine the moment Jesus spoke it to be. The moment he said, listen, go get the, fill the water jugs. And in that process, the water was becoming wine. And so that when they dipped their ladle in, it had already become that which Jesus had intended it to be because he had declared, this is what it is going to be. Jesus, listen, you and I, we are label makers. The enemy is a label maker. God is not a label maker. God is fundamentally, he is a declarer. He steps into things and he says, this water will become wine. And the exact same thing he did for those six jugs of water is the exact same thing he does for your life. He looks at you and you come to him with your water. You come to him with your sins. You come to him with your brokenness. You come to him with your issues. You come to him with all of your mistakes and all of your baggage. And he looks at you and says, listen, you are not what you brought to me, but I'm going to make you into something much more beautiful, much more valuable, much more precious than whatever it is you brought to me in this place. He, he, he comes and he speaks life into us. No, he declares what we will be. The issue is, do you really believe what Jesus says? Or are you going to straddle the fence and say, well, I am a sinner, but I, I'm saved, but I am a sinner and I'm saved. And so when I do sin, well, no wonder I sin because I am a sinner as opposed to recognizing, no, I'm going to cast off that false, that wrong identity of sinner. I'm embracing, no, I am righteous. I am holy. I am blameless. The Bible tells us, it's funny how even the Bible says a, a righteous man falls seven times. So I, you know, know what the word says, a righteous man falls seven times. It doesn't say a sinner falls seven times. It actually says a righteous man still falls, but it doesn't make him a sinner. He just gets back up. 
So you are righteous and holy and blameless. And even though you might not feel it, and even though when you think back about your behavior and what you've done in the past, it might be trying to convince you that you are not what, you be, what God has declared you to be, you have to make up in your mind. Either you believe the word of God is true or not. You believe it's true or not. You believe what he says applies to your life or it doesn't. You believe what he says applies to your family or it doesn't. And if you don't believe it, listen, you are, you, are, you, are, you are falling far below the inheritance and the promise of God. Because in the mind is where the transmission of God's plan either succeeds or fails. And if in your mind you cannot, if you cannot reconcile the truth of God with your life, you will inevitably abort the plan of God for your life because you will not believe it is true because you are choosing to believe the labels that the devil has placed on you. But you are not what you have done. You are not your behavior. You are not your past. You are what God declares over you today. So, I want to tell you today, put down the labels. Put down the labels and pick up the declarations. Put down the labels and pick up the declarations. I, I love how, how how this word says, this miraculous sign at Canaan and Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. Like, there are some astonishing miracles throughout the word of God. Raising Lazarus from the dead, feeding the 5,000, you know, healing the woman uh, who had the issue of blood, healing the leper. Right? There's some astonishing stories throughout the word of God. But I think this one here is the most astonishing because Jesus is literally able to take something that is nothing and create it and turn it into something that is great. This is the first sign of his glory being revealed. This is what God did it. Genesis and this is what God wants to do. This is what Jesus did in John, and this is what God wants to do in your life. He wants to take your life, and he wants to declare it to be something that it currently is not. And then he wants you to walk in what he has declared you to be. And so I want to challenge you today, as I said, to put down the labels and to pick up the declarations to take off the labels of liar and cheater and no good and, and um, um, worthless, to, to take off the, the labels, even the ambitious labels that, that we place upon ourselves, to take off these labels. And I want you to allow God's declaration to speak over your life, that you are his child. He's not labeling you. He's creating you into something, right? I want you to take on the, the declaration that you are righteous and that you are holy and that you are blameless. He's not, he's not labeling you. He's creating something in you and I want you to step into the declarations if you've been journeying with us for the last three weeks you know that at the end of every message we encourage you to go over to our website 
And there on our website, you can just click on the top right corner where it says daily declarations. And we want to encourage you to go to those daily declarations and to download a declaration and customize it based off of the promises of God over your life. And that when the enemy comes in and tries to label you as no good or worthless or ugly or short or tall or based off of whatever you've done in your past or maybe based off of your physical attributes, I want you to cast off those labels. And I want you to remind yourself, I am a child. I am righteous. I am holy. I am blameless. I am an heir to the throne. And that you walk confidently in what God has called you to be. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you are a creator. You are not a label maker. That you don't come and label us based off of what we've done or where we've been or how we've lived in the past. That you don't label us based off of our own fears or insecurities. God, you don't label us based off of our issues or our troubles or the circumstances or our failures or even our successes. God, you don't label us at all but you declare over us what we are. <laughs> you are a creator. You speak to us. You call us to higher levels. And God, this moment, I just want to step into what you've declared over our lives, and I want everyone who's watching to step into what you have declared over their lives that they would have confidence to know that we and that we are more than conquerors, that we are overcomers, that we are your children, that you love us unconditionally. God, that you would just declare your word over us and greater than anything that we would actually believe you. That we would believe that we are who you say we are and that what you did in Genesis by creating something out of nothing and what you did for Abraham and what you did for the water and turning it into wine is the exact same thing you want to do in our lives. You want to create something out of nothing. So Father, we thank you for your word. May we make it a, a practice and a a habit to every day declare your truth over ourselves, to every day remind ourselves who we are in you. And may we be drawn closer to you and walk in this new right identity in Christ. Lord, this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.